Hello and welcome back to Security Insights, the podcast that takes a deeper look at today's most important issues in cybersecurity and beyond. I'm Stephen Pritchard, editor and presenter. Can automation solve the cybersecurity skills gap? The latest estimates suggest there are more than 3 million unfilled vacancies across the industry. Demand for skilled cybersecurity people will only grow as more of the economy and society moves online. And there's only so much the education system can do to fill the gap. It takes time to turn a graduate into an experienced industry professional. So do we need a different way to solve the problem? Our guest this week thinks that we do. In fact, Marie Wilcox goes further and suggests that the security industry itself needs to undergo a digital transformation and to move away from a siloed way of doing business. Marie is a board director at the Chartered Institute of Information Security and also a security evangelist at Panacea. She's been in the cybersecurity industry since 2001 and has worked in a range of industries and businesses from aerospace and defence to motorsports. And she says the skills shortage is getting worse, not better. Well, it's definitely getting worse because I think a few years ago it was under three million. I think it's about three and a half million now as the currently unfulfilled roles. Um, and I think the issue is that there's just a difficulty in getting hold of the skills that are required for cybersecurity. And I think another interesting stat for you is that cybersecurity risk continues to increase despite the amount of money invested in it. And actually that cyber damage is 28 times bigger than cyber spend. And that gap is also increasing from research I've seen. Um, so really the issue is around the skills gap, but I think there's a lot of people in cyber roles that are not using their cyber skills because they're doing some cases kind of basic administration reporting and things that really could be automated, which is kind of your point about, you know, can automation help? I definitely think there are significant advantages in efficiency and, and security performance around that because Rather than trying to run around and deal with day-to-day -day admin stuff, they should be doing what they're especially skilled to do. Um, and that's another reason is they're suffering from burnout is because they're trying to do everything all at once. Uh, and they're just trying to do what they can to keep the lights on, as it were, and not thinking strategically about how they could do security more efficiently. So we'll pick the question up of automation again in a moment. But before we go there, looking at this skills gap or the skills shortage, how much of that is to do with a supply side problem in that there aren't enough people coming into cybersecurity or potentially they are doing the wrong roles or they don't have the right training and how much of that is to do with the threats and the fact that the threats are increasing or the third element actually the demand for security skills is increasing because we are digitizing more business processes and therefore actually the the landscape that we're looking to secure is just getting bigger all the time so it's like three legs to the stool there but I think all three of those in the mix really are the reasons. I mean, the, in terms of people joining the industry, um, as part of the role at SciSec that I do, we do quite a lot of work with young people in universities, trying to get them to take uh, cybersecurity as a career choice. We do a lot of work with schools, actually, as well, to try and get them to start their journey into cybersecurity. But it still remains a fairly um, difficult career for most people to choose. Um, and a lot of young people don't necessarily take that route. So it's trying to make it attractive for people to take that route. While some people say, well, you get paid quite well. Then the other balance of the coin is a lot of um, requirements of skills learning and also a long time to get to where you need to get to. 
And also there's a, there's the other issue is people leaving the industry because of burnout, because it's a very stressful job. If you're a CISO of a company and you get hacked, you're immediately a target or it feels like you are. So it's not a job that kind of fills you with comfort sometimes. So we can, we're suffering from that as well. So you've got people not wanting to join the industry and you've got people wanting to exit the industry. You're right about the fact that there is increased threat. The more we make digital, the more chance there is for a hack. The more we use automation, uh, the more we use driverless cars, all these IoT things, everything that we're connecting, it's all great. But every time we do that, obviously, increases risk. And it becomes more and more difficult then to defend against that risk all the time because you only need a small hole somewhere for someone to get in. And that makes the job very, very stressful. So really, there is no way to address it just with skills, I think. It, it, does have, it doesn't make sense in the long term to address a lack of people with more people because they just don't exist. So there's got to be a different way to do security. Um, I think this is one of the things we're seeing as a trend is you've got to look at security in a different way. It needs to go through a almost a digital transformation itself. I think it's been traditionally very siloed. People have bought things to solve one particular problem or they've got one team of people to solve one particular problem and they don't look at it holistically. Um, if you think back to most companies, they've all gone through digital transformation journeys where they've where they've looked to bring in automation to make things better. And I think that's what we need to do because there just isn't the ability to get the skills you need to get hold of. I'm not going to cite particular pieces of research because several come out every day, but there does seem to be evidence of more attacks or that more CISOs are reporting attacks coming into their organisations. So all the security bodies are monitoring this stuff. I know that motivation and attribution is probably outside the scope of this discussion at the moment, but in terms of how organisations look to get ahead of the skills problem, what is the priority right now? Is the problem one where we need to plug gaps? So we need to bring people in, we need to reskill people who are already in the organisation. And is that more important than actually potentially dealing with the longer term issues of, say, what's happening in schools and universities, which, which is very important and you've rightly mentioned. But actually right now, you know, for the CISOs in operations day to day, it's plugging those immediate gaps where there's a deficiency in their defences or the inability to support new business processes and new projects because there aren't the security people there to make it happen. Yeah, uh, and I think you're right. So to address that problem, really, I think they've got some of their security teams that they've hired and spent money hiring are doing jobs that they shouldn't really be doing. A good example of that is that they're working in silos on point solutions with no crossover. Um, and they're spending a lot of time on reporting and doing manual administration tasks as opposed to focusing on you know the threat landscape and where they can get ahead of the curve. And a lot of this is around kind of almost basic cyber hygiene because actually what we've found um, in research, and actually if you look at um, current attacks, a lot of the reasons why companies get attacked now is through control failure, which is actually because they had something in place that they should have been you know, protected by and they weren't. And it was to do with the fact it wasn't configured correctly or it wasn't switched on in some cases or it wasn't covering something or other. So even though they spent money on tools, those tools are not always working efficiently and a lot of time is spent in security teams trying to figure out where tools are deployed, are they configured correctly? And they they have conflict with different teams about who owns what and all that accountability. And those, they sound like really uninteresting failings, but all of those little failings end up with um, potentially creating gaps and holes where breaches happen. And not to mention that they're running around getting alert fatigue from different systems, telling them to do this, that and the other. And there's no kind of way of addressing that so that they're not 
running Excel spreadsheet reports or trying to figure out what they should do next. And I think the only way to solve that is with automation, because if some of those reporting and management and measurement tasks were automated, then it means that they would know what to focus on first, what the priorities should be, instead of running around with their heads on fire doing guesswork and suffering from burnout, which I think is the case today. So if we break that problem down, then, are the particular areas where you're seeing the potential for automation? And then we can perhaps talk about the ones where we're actually seeing organizations achieve a degree of automation. But where is the greatest potential? What's going to give us the quickest return on investment? And in particular, given that that return on investment is going to be measured by freeing up time of security professionals to do something more useful for the organization. I think it's around knowing what to prioritize first, because, you know, if you've got in a company 50 or 60 different security tools, they say, and some of them do, some of them have got more than that. Um, every single one of them is alerting um, either through a SIM or even if you have a SIM alerting, you've got hundreds of alerts and alert fatigue is a big problem. How do you as a security team when you've only got 10 people, 15 people working, know which ones to focus on? Um, so there's an element of not prioritizing the right things to fix. Um, and generally, they are firefighting. So that doesn't mean that they're getting ahead of the curve. Um, and actually, speaking with CISOs that I've dealt with, they privately say to me the reason they haven't been breached yet is because they haven't actually sustained a serious attack. And if they were attacked in a serious way, they would definitely get breached because they know they can't get ahead of the curve. They're constantly just trying to get on top of what they think is the urgent priorities. So I think in terms of automation, it's trying to understand why they're doing the things they're doing and why those things, you know, are more important than other things. Because I think in, when you've got teams working in silos with no consistent overview of what's happening, like of your security posture, or just generally understand what is happening with your security tools, there is a, you know, the team is likely to do what they think is a priority. And if you've got 10 different teams with 10 different priorities, um, you know, they're all going to be running off doing different things. I think that that layer above where you need to kind of have from a CISO point of view, the CISO view of the world, where we can actually say, these are the core things we should be focused on. And so let's not waste time doing this that, and the other. That would help in terms of, you know, reducing the pressure on these professionals to do what they need to do. And also the only way they could do that at the moment is by manually understanding what's going on in all those different tools across all those different departments. Whereas if they had a single view of data or a single view of all those tools or a single view of, security, it will be a lot easier for them to know what to do first and it would stop people doing the wrong things because everybody knows you can be busy doing the wrong things or you could just be busy. Um, and I think, you know, what we need to get to is making sure that the teams are busy doing the right things instead of running around doing the wrong things, such as reporting or fixing things that are not as important. Do those silos exist primarily within the security operations or are there also silos within the business and different lines of business that they need to take into account? Both. So we see that in security teams, but we also see it in different business units. So and, and accountability is another one. So it's like who who is responsible for fixing, you know, the thing that they found, the flaw, um, whatever it is, the system's not been patched. We in a lot of cases they don't know who the right person is to go to to get that done because it's not always them, it's not always the security team. It can be the IT team, can be that they need to get permission from a business owner. Um, all that information is fairly often inconsistent and or not available. So holding people accountable is almost impossible for them. So then they're spending time trying to find out who owns what, is that system important? Is that system not important? And you know, how do they triage? Because they can't do all of it. How do they triage the vulnerabilities that matter? It's extremely difficult. So they're running around trying to figure out who they should hold accountable for doing it, um, on top of then trying to fix it. 
So it's, you know, if that was a lot simpler and they knew who owned what and there was no silo communication between the business units and between the security teams, they would be able to fix things a lot easier. So what sort of processes can they automate? And I appreciate there's also quite a lot of data coming out of systems, particularly in the SOC, that organisations need to analyse and be able to have an overview of. And we've seen some interesting work being done in that space as well, in the information management space. But but where are we seeing the automation being deployed? The, the simplest um, automation really is to take the data that you already have. So rather than putting in or getting new data, you can get insight from all of your security tools that you currently have by just bringing them together in basically a data lake so that you can then use that data lake to make decisions on what are the key priorities because you get to know what the compound risk is of one tool versus another tool. Because all those tools do specifically different things. So, you know, so you've got endpoint tools, you've got vulnerability tools, you've got patch tools, and they all tell you a slightly different view of the security landscape. Now, in isolation, that's great, but that's only in that silo approach. So, you know, for example, CrowdStrike doesn't know where CrowdStrike isn't deployed, as an example, as a tool. So the, the point is, if you can bring all that data together into a data lake and get a single view of what all of your tools are telling you about your entire IT security estate, you can then make you know, proper insightful decisions about where you need to focus your efforts as opposed to just dealing with whatever emergencies come in that day which has got the big red flashing light. Um, and what we're seeing is that the people that take the time to get that right and bring that data together and look at it holistically instead of in silos from a CISO point of view, like a CISO dashboard or something, they can measure that against their security policy. They can kind of figure out what they're trying to achieve and make sure that those priorities are then driven through as opposed to just firefighting. Are we seeing that being done by particular organisations? Are we seeing any sectors that have moved most quickly to do this? From our perspective, we've seen it in financial services the most and secure government's probably the second biggest because they they are, I suppose, a little bit more, I don't enlightened's maybe not the right term, but because they've been well, as you remember with security, finance were probably the first ones to adopt it, probably because of regulation and all the other obligations that they have. Same with secure government, because they had no option but to be as secure as possible. And some of these organizations, particularly financial services, have actually built their own kind of data analytics platforms, which basically are doing exactly this sort of thing, because they know that try to keep tabs on all the tools they've got and all the people and all the resources they have is nearly impossible without some kind of automation. The difficulty is that all those tools work differently. They're all by different vendors. They all look at data differently. They all show the world of security differently. And they even show the assets differently. So the, the problem actually comes, and the difficult part of it, is being able to make that data come together and speak on the same hymn sheet or you know, get a single view of that data that's clear and trusted. And that's not easy to do, because if it was, I think everybody would be doing it already. So there's quite a lot of people that, that have got great large teams of analysts that work for them um, in financial services doing it themselves. Um, or there are some tools around that can help you do it. But ultimately, without that oversight of everything to do with what's going on with the security and IT estate, you can't really make the right decisions. So you're, you're basically running by guesswork. So what I mean by enlightened is the more enlightened CISOs that are trying to get ahead of the curve are the ones that are looking at some kind of data analytics or continuous monitoring platform, either themselves or with a vendor. Otherwise, the other ones are just trying to attack the things they can see and hope for the best. Now, that does make a lot of sense. But then we've also got, well, that's very much focused on data and, and, and oversight. Is this idea of dashboards really where you see the quick wins in automation so people have a better information picture of their situation? 
Yes, and I think it's not just the dashboard, it's having trusted data. Because the problem is, um, trying to think about the analogy. So if you work in retail, you do a stock stock take and you you get you get a picture of in that moment in time of how much stock you've got in the store versus what the system says you've got in the store. Um they do those what manually probably point in time audits. Um, if you think about security in the same way, they've kind of been doing that for a while. You know, we've got these assets, we think they're protected by these tools, so we're all good. But every tool that they deploy, because they're forever buying new ones to mitigate whatever new threat they think is coming, um, they're all different. They've all got a different view of the world. They've all they all think they know about all the assets, but they don't always know about all the assets. And they think they belong, you know, one computer might say it belongs to me. And I've got admin rights, and another another system might think it belongs to you, and that you've got admin rights. So there's lots of conflicting information. So it's not just about having the dashboard; it's about having the trusted data behind it. Because otherwise, it's not really helpful. You'll be making decisions then on the wrong data. So it's like junk in, junk out. So the trust is the really important part. And the way that security teams are trying to do that now, um, in our experiences, they're using Excel spreadsheets to take you know CSV dumps from various tools and going, oh, do we have the right set of do we have the true source of data here? And it's a very manual process. And then if you add to that, they're having to report to the board and they're having to report on compliance. All of that currently is being done manually, which seems crazy when the data exists in the tools, it just needs to be consolidated. So it's a quick win in terms of automation because all you got to do is bring the data together, clean it up to make sure it's right so that it's trusted. And then you could use it for compliance reporting, board reporting and for operational reporting. So then you've got a true picture of what's happening. So it seems like a quick win, but it's not just a dashboard, it's a data behind it. Because if you put junk in, it won't give you the right picture. But at the other end of the spectrum, potentially, we have a lot of vendors talking about artificial intelligence and machine learning, in particular, trying to use that for threat detection. And we're seeing that in ransomware prevention, for instance. How effective is that? And is that still something that needs to go some way before it's mature? So AI is an interesting one. So a lot of people, we did a survey recently and a lot of people were very distrusting of AI, partly because a bit like anything really, it's it's a new new technology, but it's only as good as the model it's based on. So if the model is flawed in any way, um, then what the outcome of the AI would be flawed. So there's a, there's a risk there because you don't know how it's got to where it's got to, which is why I keep going about data trust. You sometimes need to have absolute understanding. If you're going to make a strategic decision about where to deploy resources, you need to be 100% sure that what either your system is telling you or your AI system is telling you is right, because it could be that serious in terms of like certainly financial services and compliance. So we see quite a lot of people quite wary of AI, certainly for making kind of insight decisions around security at the moment, because it's a fairly new technology. And I think because the models themselves can be skewed, as we've seen with some of the uh, current AIs that are out there. So I think there's a bit of nervousness towards AI. And I don't think you necessarily need to use AI initially anyway. It's all about actually just getting your data in, in a good position as opposed to having to use AI to analyze your data. But I certainly see AI as a future strength in terms of if you're sure that the data you're given the AI is right, then it's likely that the AI decision-making would be good. And I see it in threat detection, but again, it's a bit hit and miss because it depends on the models. And there's no... How do you test that the model's not being compromised? Because that's one of the new areas in AI. As I've seen this a lot as well as, uh, you know, the, the way that they're training the AI device, how do you know that that's not already been infiltrated from a cyber risk point of view as well? So there's a lot of, you know, wariness around it. Well, we can't know that, can we? That's the thing. 
Well, there there are some people that are specialising in looking at how the AI modelling is done and whether they have been infiltrated or not. So that's a new kind of up and coming technology that I've seen. Is there a risk, though, that the whole AI question becomes a distraction? Because lots and lots of vendors, not just in the cybersecurity space, but also in things like the data analysis space, are talking up their AI game. Organisations, businesses don't actually have a lot of skilled AI people. And trying to find skilled AI people who are also cognizant with cybersecurity issues and can operate in that environment is probably reducing it down to you know, a small sample of, a, of an already small group. Is it potentially actually something that organisations or CISOs should be saying, well, that, that's for the future, but right now we have other priorities and actually starting to skill up a lot of people in AI technology, or even just to be able to understand the veracity of what AI is saying to them isn't going to help me? I think and a lot of CISOs would admit that because I actually think the cybersecurity market is fairly immature compared to some of the other. So if you look at other industries where they use data analytics or predictive analytics and things like that to basically make decisions, take Formula One racing as an example, right? They make all those predictions based on the car, the way it's around the track. I've got experience with this because I work for McLaren Applied. You know, that's that's a different industry, but they're quite mature in taking data from lots of different telemetry in order to make a decision. In security, we're kind of at the very start of that journey. We've only started to put in things like socks and, you know, we're not looking at the telemetry of everything that we have in order to make decisions. We're working in silos. So each piece of telemetry or each security tool is individually reporting on the threat state or the posture that it's in, that kind of stuff. We need to undergo as an organization, as an industry, transformation. To like business transformation, not just digital, not just putting in a platform to do data analytics, but the people and processes behind it. It's basically a change management program. Instead of working in this individual way against individual, you know, threats, we need to work collectively as a security team across all of it, prioritizing and using that analytics or data better. So to then say you want to put AI into it, I think that's even further down the road than we are today, where they're not even looking at the data holistically, they're individually looking at the tool data. There's a there's a journey we've got to go on before we can get to really utilising AI properly. Also, there is a question of how you work with a constant threat, because if you look at, you know, motor racing is one example, but, you know, in retail or banking or many other things that there's a, an ebb flow to your transactions, whereas there doesn't really happen in cybersecurity you're constantly under threat and you don't know when the next one is coming from. Whereas to take the motor racing example, you know you have a race weekend, you run the modelling, you run the analysis from the testing, from the practice, you put that into the system, you feed that into the instructions you're giving to your driver and your pit wall and so on for the race. And then you reset everything, you can analyse the data post-race and start the next process for the next race. So there is at least some interval to it, uh, similar to doing predictions around you know, retail supply chain or something of that nature, I suppose. But the cybersecurity thing is different because firstly, the threat is always there. Uh, and secondly, we don't know where it's going to come in terms of peaks and troughs. We don't know if we're going to be subject to uh, a massive denial of survey, uh, sorry, a massive denial of service attack one week or a sneaky ransomware infiltration the next. So there is not that point where you can reset. You can't step back and say, OK, I'm going to look at my data. I'm going to see how it's performed. Uh, you're trying to do that on a running system all the time. And maybe that's why financial services is actually quite a good vehicle for testing this out, because they do have that constant flow of transactions that they can't stop. That's right. And, that, and that's why continuous controls monitoring is the automation method which you would use because it's continuously all the time. So you, you wouldn't just take the data, analyze it, and look at it again. It's like 
daily hourly checking the data to make sure you're doing the right things. Um, it's interesting actually um, around, you were saying about um, why do people need to do this better? So you mentioned the threats are coming all the time and the things have to be monitored continuously. I agree with that. But most security breaches are not caused by zero days. Now, zero days, to be fair, you you have hardly any defense against because you don't know how they're going to do it and it's pretty difficult. But mostly they come in because something you've configured to protect you has failed. Uh, ransomware attacks, most of those have come in because you've had a failing in one of your security controls. So if if you could get all of your basic cyber tools working properly uh, in a consistent way, you could probably stop about 98% of attacks. Now, the reason that security tools don't get configured correctly all the time is because people bypass things because it's faster to set up a cloud server without doing all the various config things they need to do, whatever it is. That's what happens in a day-to-day life. If you had a, a system that was telling you what was going on all the time in a continuous way using the actual data from tools, you've got a better chance of working out that you know this cloud has been opened it's got access to an admin server and this person did it and they're based in this unit that's a high priority fix for example so it's like using that data in real time is better than how they do it now which is kind of waiting for the attack to happen so what i'm saying is it's about being proactive rather than reactive to security hacks and so not waiting for the sign of um an intrusion, but actually making sure your defenses are more solid before that intrusion happens using data analytics. That's what I mean by the automation side of it. And if we were to take a starting point, if we were to say to CISOs, this is where you could start to automate in order to free up scarce human resources. Yes, yeah, scarce human resources. Where would you start? Where would you recommend they start to look? So, so if just basic stuff around kind of the endpoint vulnerability and patch. So if you could just look at that as a basic cyber hygiene, make sure your asset inventory is right, make sure those tools are telling you what they need to tell you, and then you can work out quickly how to get that data right, that will save you a huge amount of time in the long run. A good example of this is things like standard build. So if people do a standard build laptop and, and the standard build has a vulnerability in it. Um, this vulnerability they fix but they don't go back and fix the standard build. So every time they release a new machine, they reintroduce a vulnerability. I mean, it sounds like a silly thing, but if you did that times a thousand and that went unnoticed times a thousand, suddenly you've got a bunch of holes you didn't know you had. So we can, with, with using data, you'd be able to see the root cause of why that vulnerability came into the system because it came from this tool via this tool and you could make better decisions such as, why don't we fix the standard build so we don't reintroduce that vulnerability again? It's those level of insights you can only really get from looking at your data. And and that data already exists. So it seems like a a no-brainer to just say, let's get all this data in one place in a consistent format that we can actually understand and use that to make better decisions and be proactive with security instead of waiting to be attacked. So ultimately, it's about developing a better picture, a better understanding of actually your cyber risk and your security landscape. But using data you already have, it's not new data, it's not a new tool, it's just get the data in one place, in one format, which it sounds really simple, but I know it's not simple in practice because they all use different formats and they all look at the world slightly differently because they're different tools and they're different vendors. But actually, a simple thing would just be to get a very clear, even if you did do it in Excel, and some companies do do it in Excel because they don't have hundreds of thousands of tools, but just doing that and understanding what you've got going on already and making sure that stuff is fixed will probably prevent a large number of hacks and breaches. Marie Wilcox, thank you very much. 
Marie Wilcox on how bringing together all security data in one place will help teams understand the true threats to their organisations and will ultimately prevent a lot of hacks. That, though, is all for this episode of Security Insights. In our next programme, we'll look at the growing importance of open source technology and some of the security issues that poses. You can listen to that episode from Thursday, the 2nd of November. Until then, do catch up on past programmes via our website, securityinsights.co.uk, or subscribe and rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon and Spotify. Thanks again for listening. Security Insights is written and presented by Stephen Pritchard and produced by ENS Media. For more information, visit us online at ensmedia.co.uk forward slash podcasting. Thanks again.